Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable here. Got Lavender Gooms here. And got DJ Mark here. And you know what, guys? Sometimes a pay-per-view starts, and you turn to your friends and you say, three new champions. And sure, you're saying it just because, fuck it, let's say some stuff. But then, two and a half hours later, Stefan, we have three new champions. One card. <laughs> oh, that was an amazing card. It's more fun to say and new. So uh, I got to yell that three straight times. That was pretty damn spectacular. Yeah. And I'm not even sure which one the best one was. I mean, I think we're going to talk about all three here. Um, it's just credit is due to every to the people. Honestly, credit. I'm going to give credit real quickly to all the losers because um, Michael Bisping, those who didn't see Michael Bisping, Cody Garbrandt, and Yoana and Jacek lost their championships this past Saturday night in Madison Square Garden in front of a million-plus pay-per-view buys because apparently GSP shows up all Canadians by pay-per-view. Um, credit to all three of them because I saw all three of them give a bunch of interviews and just none of them making any real excuses. Just they lost. And uh, I don't know. It was nice. I mean, no one pulled a Ronda where we didn't hear from them in two years. Let's put it that way. So... Um, but the winners, man, we have George St. P. Credit to all three of them. It's hard to see. It's hard to say, as Stefan put it, which one was the most impressive. George St. Pierre having not fought in four goddamn years, moving up a weight class and taking a middleweight champ, taking the middleweight championship away from Michael Bisping in uh, three rounds. Dillashaw persevering from he's getting his shit rocked in the first round. There was a couple times in the first round where uh, TJ looked in trouble. Um, and he came back and knocked out Cody Garbrandt in the second. And then... Rose Namajunas defeated Joanna Jacek by by knockout, standing. She dropped her and knocked her out. Um, and I guess when I was saying keep Rose away from Namajunas, keep Rose away from Joanna, I guess that was for Joanna's benefit. Yeah, man. Um, well, let's get into them. Let's start with um, the King is back, uh, George St. Pierre. Marcus, um, just a. And you got to give as much. I mean, hasn't fought in four years as a factor here. But besides George St. Pierre looking like he was getting a little tired around round three, uh, pretty impressive performance by the former welterweight champ, no? Yeah, no, this was a really good performance, um, especially when you add in all the, the X factors going into this fight um, that we didn't know about. You know, him being gone for so long and him moving up a weight class. Um, he looks great at 185. He still looked very fast. And I think most impressive was that he still has a dynamite takedown. I mean, they weren't super explosive across the ring, uh, double and single legs, but anytime he grabbed Bisbing's hips, um, he was able to get the guy down, and that was really impressive. Um, he was throwing hard on his strikes. He was throwing his right hand consistently throughout the fight, um, and he stayed in the pocket, and he was able to hit him with a good, I think it was a left hook that really rocked Bisbing. Um, and then he followed it up with ground and pound and easily could have stopped the fight there because Bisbing was just getting pounded on with elbows, but he was he – was, he was putting his hands up. He was trying to be defensive. And then once he gave up his back, it was classic GSP. Um, back in his heyday, him getting rear naked chokes was really his go-to finisher. Um, he got it on Frank Trigg. He got it on a lot of guys. Um, 
it's something that, you know, has been one of his, you know, best skills in his repertoire. And uh, yeah, once he got Bisbing's back, it was definitely over. Um, Bisbing did tap. He showed a lot of heart. And like you mentioned, Bob, there definitely was a pendulum swing in this fight where GSP at the end of the second definitely seemed like he was slowing down. And because up to that point, I think GSP was handily winning the fight, um, just tact tactically taking rounds, scoring takedowns, doing damage with his jab, um, rocked Bisbing with a Superman uh, jab. Uh, in the first, he just looked great, and yeah, I think the one little knock that you know, when you're looking at the big picture, um, he did get a little tired, uh, he was throwing a little harder, so that's something that he might need to be wary of. Um, you know, in other fights, he kind of needs to be throwing a little harder, about. working on taking a bigger man down, of course. Michael Bisping, of course, formerly fighting at 205 pounds, so uh, Mike's not a smart guy, a small guy exactly there. Um, but George got it done, just impressive on all levels, and just. There was a story about, like, a people, I mean, like, we talked about it here where people didn't seem to know, seem to have forgotten GSP. But you know who didn't forget GSP? Canada. Because it was, like, Saturday where, like, I don't know if that meant, this part meant anything, but, like, the, the nation of Canada has a Twitter account. And they were, you know, saying, go George St. Pierre. And I'm like, well, okay, that's nice. And then, uh, Mike, I, you sat, I'm not sure if you saw this, but this uh, Sunday morning, um, the handsome, handsome devil himself, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, congratulated George St. Pierre on becoming champion yet again. I mean, I'm just waiting on Trump to congratulate Tyron Woodley. Uh, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did see that. I'm going to chalk that up to more that America's hat has nothing better to do than to tweet at George St. Pierre. I guess their prime minister has... Nothing more to do on a Sunday morning. Man, I'm trying to give GSP some credit, and I'm an evil Sanchez here. I'm saying evil because dude's got a goatee, and I still don't trust we got the right one back from Japan. Um, is out here just shitting on GSP. I don't. I mean, I don't know, Mike. Didn't let's, you pick let's this? Let's be clear. Dude? Let's be clear. <laughs> I am not shitting on GSP. I'm shitting on Canada. Seth, that doesn't make him seem any nicer, if you ask me. Well, how are you going to shut up Canada? Canada's the friendly neighbor, so you're kind of being the asshole. Mike. Yeah, Jesus, Mike. Uh, well, come on now. That's exact. That's exactly it, Stefan. They're the friendly neighbor, so they won't do anything to me when I make fun of them. Yeah, those people gave us Pamela Anderson, maple syrup, Gretzky, and, other and stuff. They also gave us Michael J. Fox. I love you, Canada. Gave us GSP, for fuck's sake. Um... Steph, I, you know, I was really excited. I mean, I you saw me. I was standing up by the end of the Robin, fight. Robin Scherbatsky as well. Thank you. Um, Steph, um, GSP after four years off, they, they say Robert Whitaker's next. They say it's not even a question. I'm all of a sudden super interested in Robert Whitaker versus George St. Pierre. What are you thinking about that matchup? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Bobby Knuckles is one of the most exciting fighters in the division. And, you know, we're talking about the size differential. We've always kind of considered Whitaker a little on the smaller end of the middleweight spectrum. So maybe this one will actually kind of look uh, close in size. Did you, you know, um, Steph, did you catch, I'm sorry to interrupt here, but did you catch Bobby Knuckles marking out for GSP when they showed him in the crowd when GSP had won? Bobby Knuckles was, Bobby Knuckles was up cheering. Like, he, oh, yeah. He, everybody Whitaker was very much a fan. He was just a fan. He yeah. was just stoked that GSP was back. Um, and from all accounts that I've heard about uh, why they, people say, like, I'd, I'd love to see the promotion of it because uh, by all accounts, Bobby Knuckles is just a really nice guy. And I think we understand GSP is just a really nice guy. I imagine their promotion is going to be really buddies with each other. So I don't know. I, I think that'd be a nice turn of pace. But yeah, that's a spectacular matchup because GSP was going to, you know, everything's fresh again. That's what we get to say about three divisions. Everything is fresh now. 
So um, it hopefully clears up the log jams. I know the names of the other money fights are already being thrown out. Woodley's yelling about GSB being a coward. Connor's name will always be in the discussion because of money. Um, but I, I'm interested now in seeing him take on the middleweight division. I mean, we all saw. I think, we, we all saw I think it's funny, Mike. Real quick, I we think all it's saw... funny that at first, uh, it uh, the vision is now fresh when a gray beard, 36 year old, who was champion for God knows how long, becomes champion again. And also, let's let's be real. Bobby Knuckles was very happy. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. But we know we damn well know why he was celebrating so hard. Because his potential payday for the unification fight went from maybe six hundred thousand to uh, maybe two million. I mean, maybe at one point five. I mean, we're not going to accuse Bobby Knuckles of being an idiot. I mean, come on now. He's got to know what's what. Um, no, I lost my damn train of thought here. But yeah. Um, Michael Bisping, I was going to say, Michael Bisping uh, said this isn't it for him, said he's not going to go out like that. Um, I'm not, I don't think this will get him a better result, um, the fight I'm about to suggest. But Marcus, um, Luke Rockhold and, and Michael Bisping 3 is just sitting there for the taking. We're going to get that probably before Mr. Bisping's all said and done here, right? Yeah, I mean, that that seems like an obvious trilogy they could go to whenever they need to. And maybe that is the next move for Bisping. It seems like there's, what, like eight guys calling out Luke? I don't know why necessarily, too, but it seems like he has a laundry list of dudes challenging him as well. But, um, yeah, I think him and Bisping makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think, obviously, they both want that back. I know – you know Luke wants that fight back because he knows he could, you know, do better than he did in that second performance. And it's another big fight for Bisping. I don't know where he goes from here. and um, But it definitely seems like, you know, he still wants to, to fight and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. There's, and there's a lot of fights that Bisping could potentially – I mean, that division's just hot. And it was interesting, even when Bisping was champion, even though he's been there forever, because there's a lot of guys he hadn't fought. Yeah, him versus Romero would be nice. That They hate each other, apparently. Yeah, there was like eight fights. I was like, when he was champion, hey, maybe you should fight any one of these contenders. And he didn't fight any of them. So now he can if he wants to get back in that title picture. I just think it's funny that GSP is going to jump in and then fight this death row of fighters that Bisping, you know, kind of tiptoed away from. So um, and I, I think that if... I mean, this win in and of itself is super impressive, and you have to give your hat off to George and, you know, best fighter of all time accolades and stuff like that. But if George contains this division as well, that's unheard of. Because I think right now, and you talked about it, Bobby, like this fight reminded you of Randy and Tim Sylvia, where Bisbing's coming back from a retirement and he's looking at champions. He goes like, GSP coming back. Yeah, GSP, yeah. And he's looking at at middleweight and welterweight and where he can jump in at. And you're looking at Woodley and be like, fuck, that could be a really tough fight for me. And you look at Bisbing and you're like, that might not be as tough for me. And, you know, good on him to get that fight and get that belt. I mean, that, that in and of itself, that's kind of crazy. But um, and, and super impressive with the layoff. But if GSP can stay at middleweight and fight off uh, uh, Bobby Knuckles and fight off the Romeros and Luke in the Weidmans, that would be insanity. Insanity. I mean, right, honestly, crazy. right. you're right. And right now, you tell me George St. Pierre is the best fighter of all time. I'd be like, okay. You could have told me that yeah. before. The, you could have said it before the fight. And I still would have been like, okay. There's a couple. There's a bunch of guys up there. You, I mean, it's like, I mean, maybe I'm starting to think uh, the GSP saw all this Mighty Mouse uh, accolades. And he's just like, all right. You know, I gotta, I'm going to have to come back and show people what's what here. But, yeah, he – you tell me George St. Pierre is the best fighter either. I, ever I buy it. You tell me Mighty Mouse is the best fighter ever, I buy it. You tell me Anderson Silva is, I buy it. John Jones, I buy it. All these people are different weight classes. This might be a factor here. Um, 
Mike, you, 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 you thinking what I'm thinking? Where they're looking at Anderson Silva at number eight in the middleweight rankings and thinking now's the time, GSP versus Anderson Silva? I think if there's ever a time GSP will finally fight Anderson Silva, it would be now. I mean, he was a smart guy way back when to not fight Anderson when Anderson was living in the goddamn Matrix. I'm just saying if Anderson, now, if Anderson looks Anderson if Anderson looks even a little bit good, well, I don't. You know what? I don't care if he beats Kelvin Gastelum by like somebody paid off a judge. Come on, just book it. Let's keep avoiding I, real I contenders. Think, I think it's a moot point. Yeah, there's I'm no way they're, they're, they're gonna, not gonna book fight. GSP with Anderson. It's either gonna be, it's either gonna be Bobby Knuckles, or if the money looks right, I mean, it, it'll be Connor or GSP. Man, at because at this point. We just saw Connor fight in a spectacle of a boxing match. We can't put anything past the UFC. And the biggest fight likely would be GSP and Connor. I know Dana White, I think, has already come out and said that his next fight would be a unification fight. Uh, and if anything, what this has proven this past Saturday is that GSP is still a draw. GSP is still able to command pretty good pay-per-view GSP numbers. is the biggest draw they have that's willing to fight anybody right now. Wait, while we're entertaining this, could we just imagine the absolute absurd, most absurd reality possibility where it's the quasi-featherweight and lightweight dual champion fighting GSP for the middleweight championship? What if we do that? What no. All no, I know. One, I'm step, one step crazier, they don't even fight in the UFC. Conor McGregor promotions say, with man. GSP promotions. Yeah, that's what's about to happen here. <laughs> Okay, look, we gotta um, we gotta move on here. This is not happening, and I, we're just throwing shit against the wall. I think he's fighting Robert Whitaker, and Conor McGregor wants equity in the promotion to fight. So we're at least a month away of negotiations from that. Though he'll get it. Conor always gets it. Uh, Cody Garbrandt, told, uh, TJ Dillashaw. Um, we all ended up picking one side on this one, um, and in the first round, it looked like the it was gonna go quite frankly Cody's way. He stunned TJ. One time he got him pretty good. The second time it looked like TJ was pretty proper fucked. Um, and then I think it was early in the second where we're all talking and we're like, man, they're both throwing so hard. This is not going to last much longer. And Steph, it didn't. <laughs> oh, man, that was spectacular fashion. Uh, TJ, TJ's got great head kicks. He has great great head kicks if there's one thing we talked about you know we always bring up uh, the bang ludwig thing and a lot of guys at alpha male what while uh, bang was there they saw success but no one took to it the way tj did tj was the disciple of it you know um so much that he left with him um to form their own team and uh, do their own thing but you know that's that's what it came down to um Cody looked great. He had his speed. He had tremendous, tremendous speed. He did his thing like Dominic, where he he wants to embarrass you. He wants to dance after you miss. He wants to point out to the whole crowd about how bad you just missed. And it was working for a round there, but somewhere along the way, it just it slowed down a little bit because TJ was getting him in every now and then. It just wasn't as fluid. Um, Cody was getting the better of the timing. But, um, you know, I listened to the TJ talk in the MMA hour. He said in the scouting report, Cody puts his hands down an awful lot. Cody leaves his hands down a lot. When he showboats, when he dances, he's always putting his hands down. And that's exactly what happened. Hands down, head kick, clip, you know, big hooks. Like, uh, I mean, just to, to make this to a nerdy thing, but I was talking about a game last week uh, called Fire Emblem where it's just there's this rock, paper, scissors system. 
And hilariously, that's kind of what we got now in this Bantamweight division is uh, TJ can't beat uh, Dominic, can't beat Cody, can't beat TJ. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean... So I'm... suddenly, it's pretty interesting among those three guys right now. Yeah, um, I don't think Cody's... And that's probably gonna... not even what's going to happen. That's yeah. probably not even what happens next. Well, I mean, I don't think Cody deserves an immediate rematch. Okay, first of all, let me put this out there right now. The reporter that asked Uriah Faber if he's willing to come out of retirement to fight TJ Dillashaw, you need to not ask questions anymore. Because even Uriah's answer, Uriah's answer was like, I mean, yeah, if they're going to give me a title shot, okay. And then again today, Uriah's like, yeah, man, if they give me a title shot, I'll fight him. Don't, don't Nobody ask these questions, man. Like, the people who ask these questions, I feel, don't watch the fights. They, like, write the pre-fight copy about, like, former teammates. Like, if the guy already wrote his Cody and TJ preview, and he's like, if I just delete the word Cody and put in Uriah, I can just submit the same fucking paper next time. No, it's not happening. All right, let's get past that. And Cody's not getting an immediate rematch just because I don't think without a title defense, he's going to get one. I don't. I mean, weirder shit's happened, but I don't think so. Especially since, uh, Marcus, we got Dominic and uh, Jimmy Rivera booked for about a month from now, I believe. And the winner of that fight's pretty clearly getting the next shot. Um, are we seeing, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we've seen Jimmy Rivera. We don't know Jimmy Rivera as well as Dominic, Marcus, but are we seeing... Are we seeing Dominic get a Dominic TJ too, or do you think we're going to see another new contender? Well, I mean, I'm not sure. I know. I, I thought some of the narrative and TJ called him out was that he wants to fight Mighty Mouse. Um, I think there's a lot of logistical, you know, hoops they'll have to jump through to get that fight. But I think that is that's probably one of the more interesting fights. But yeah, I think if Dominic gets past Rivera, which I think he will, um, setting up a rematch between them makes sense. Um, and I agree with you, Cody not having defended the title doesn't really earn that, you know, immediate rematch. But I assume that, you know, he's in the short line. He gets one big win. He's right back in that conversation. And I'm sure they'd, they'd love to run um, this fight back because it was a great fight. You know, there was a lot of back and forth. And TJ really had his back up against the wall in that second round. He pulled it off. Um, you know, it was in a litany of great comeback kind of wins that we had in, in this card. You know, that def this one definitely stands out. But, yeah, where you go from here at bantamweight, is kind of tough because you do have kind of the guy that just I'm, – I'm sure TJ wants to get it back from Cruz too. Um, so, I mean, that fight makes sense. Cody hovering in the wings. But it seemed like – I think the big money and the big marquee fight would be him and Mighty Mouse. They were already talking about fighting before he he captured the, the belt here again. Um, and I think that – I think TJ could benefit from that. I think Mighty Mouse would benefit greatly from that if he's able to win that fight. Marcus, did you Everyone, catch what uh, what Dana White said? About that fight, because oh, no. because well, they had they said Dana's like Dominic uh, Demetrius has finally got his money fight, and one and one reporter's like, well, Demetrius would like to be paid more if you put him if you book him in a champion for champion fight, and then the report and then Dana White goes, well, let's see how his pay per view did, which I'm like, yeah, the pay per view you made him the co main event three weeks out, yeah, that's, it doesn't matter. That's the, the, never that's, gonna the be good. that's the one we're gonna base this all on, and you are the promoter in charge of promoting. And he's hitting video game moves inside the cage, but sure, let's see. Let's 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 blame this dude. I want to yeah. see it. Well, I'm just yeah. I'm just saying that would that I would be see it too, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, of getting the most people interested. I think that I think that fight's more interesting than him and Cruz or him and Cody because I think you know uh, DJ coming up with a weight class, being as dominant as he is, and fighting another champion um, is a really interesting storyline. And I I love to see that fight, but I don't know if it's going to come to fruition. So yeah, him and Cruz again makes a lot of sense if he gets past uh, Rivera. And then Cody, I think, is just one fight away from getting into that um, conversation as well. And I don't know of anyone else in the division that's kind of hovering in the wings as well. 
But I mean, yeah, you got to think maybe like about. this uh, this Dodson Marais fight, the winner of that. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Maybe maybe they're close, but yeah, not, I, mean, not... I, I think maybe if Marais wins, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, we'll see. Um, let's talk about the next fight here. Uh, Mike Rose and JoJo or JoJo Joanna. I mean, we all picked against Rose, and I think for good reason. Um, there, honestly, the fight wasn't that long, Mike, and like I didn't even get a chance to get a feel for it. But all of a sudden, Ro, uh, Joanna was on her ass. Um, tell me what you thought of the fight. And also, tell me if you got the same vibes a lot of other people were getting about halfway through the week where we're like, man, this seems like a real uh, home and rousey thing where one person's be not saying anything and the other person's being aggressively mean. <laughs> well, I'm not going to try to rewrite history because I pretty firmly picked Joanna uh, last week. I pretty firmly picked Joanna. I think four months ago, I think when I texted you saying, please keep, uh, please keep my girl away from Joanna. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did start to get a weird feeling. I remember, I forget what press conference it was at, but it was the one where Joanna was kind of dressed up like female fawns mm -hmm. <laughs> like in, yeah, in the leather jacket and like the midriff. And like, she kind of sauntered on and like, she was looking like really, um, uh, like re really up in herself. Mm. And frankly, if there's anyone who's deserves to, you know, think that they're the greatest, you know, when it comes to the women's division, it is Joanna, but it was such a stark contrast to how she comported herself in previous fights as well, that it, this strike me as a little weird and for sure myself, just like with a lot of people, I think this week we did start thinking, wow, this is sounding a lot like Ronda before her Holly fight where she's talking about, I'm going to break Ronda's record. I'm going to retire undefeated. Ronda said that same thing as well. Uh, unlike Ronda, I mean, she was saying that she's going to be a two-division uh, two champ. You know, like after she wins this fight and breaks Ronda's record, she's going to move up to 125 and be the boogie woman for the 125 division oh, as well. My favorite insult, uh, when she was just yelling at Rose, you're not ready for this life. You don't want this life. Like, yeah, you know, thug Rose, but uh, Joanna was coming out real thug with that. Like, you know, but Rose is giving her the stone cold look the whole time. Rose is quoting scripture to her. What did she hit her Rose with? Was it like an uppercut or something? It, Somebody remember? Oh, oh, I thought you were talking about in the Marcus. What was it? Left hook. Left hook. Yeah, she got walloped. And I uh, mean, and, and and definitely one thing is we all thought that if Rose was going to win the fight, it was going to be on the ground. And I forgot which one of us mentioned at one point last week. Uh, I think a very just. I think uh, at least a slightly tepid uh, statement about that Rose has pretty good uh, stand-up herself, which could offer some type of uh, challenge or uh, intrigue in the fight. But none of us thought this was going to happen. We thought that – I'm, and tell me if I'm wrong, guys, but as good as we think Rose's stand-up is, all of us thought – hands in a way that if it was going to be a stand-up fight that that was going to be Joanna's domain you mean the kickboxing so, world champion yeah I think we all yeah. had the, we all had the kickboxing world champion <laughs> in that regard um let me put this out there guys but, but no I mean Rose Rose Cotter with a really good counter and then that's pretty much the start of Joanna's uh, downfall um again props to Joanna and the other uh people who've lost for just saying yeah I lost um 
and not trying to hide. Um, oh, wait. I have a comment about that. What? She uh, said she didn't tap? Yeah, that's that was the that was the ups and downs all at once of someone who's willing to talk so soon after again getting clobbered. Do you think? So, do you the, think part of it is that she was knocked so silly at the time, and now she looks at it and she refuses to believe that was a that she would let herself tap? It's like Overeem saying Stipe tapped. It's a, it isn't there. You're standing your ground. It's not a great look. So yeah, that's that's that double edged sword right there. We appreciate that she talks so immediately. But you you take stances that maybe you haven't given enough time to let it marinate, and that's not well, a great look either. So well, thankfully that wasn't that was a live on paper. That wasn't live on pay per view at least with Overeem one. That was just today her saying that, which I don't know. Okay, let's. Be, I'm gonna put this out there also. Um, Joanna's getting an immediate rematch, right? Like, does anybody have an argument for why somebody else should get a shot? I think uh... not just okay. You got to give me the person, not just somebody else deserves it. Well, I think here's at least my criteria for champion gets immediate rematch uh, or challenger in a title match. It was a very close and extremely controversial decision a la Shogun versus Machida, where everyone in their mothers, including Machida's mother, thought he lost that first fight. So that's one. Uh, the other is in, I think, this situation where it's a long-term dominant champion. Those are the two situations where I think an immediate title rematch. Are number, number three is if we can sell another one. Just saying. Yes, that's dirty number three. Honestly, yes. like I don't see anybody else deserving of one more than her. Um, I know she got beat the, in three minutes, but the, I don't know. That's the argument against, and I, I saw Rose made this argument herself, and I see where she's coming from. Is she starts Joanna. Joanna didn't do anything to her on the stand up. It's not like Joanna was lighting her up and there was a Hail Mary hook. She starched her. So I see the even great champion. I, I, I think it'll likely be a rematch, but I see that argument against it because this champion who was dominant just got starched. Would you like them to get their momentum back? Would you like it to not happen twice in a row and then suddenly their career is spiraling? You know? Um, that's a fair, that's a fair is, point. It's, it's a big, it's a big thing. Sometimes, sometimes these champions come back too soon. Look at Anderson coming back against Weidman. It went worse. You know, um, maybe you get your mojo back a little bit. I see the argument against it. Marcus, uh, what do you think here? Because we, we, I'm just giving you an idea of what we got going on right now in this weight class. You got uh, Jessica Andrade, who just beat the crap out of Claudia Gadelia, the pretty clear top contender, not named Joanna. Uh, but Joanna tooled her, and, and Jessica Andrade's one win off of a title loss. Gadelia's lost a couple. Carolina, the Carolina just Carolina just beat um, Jody Escabel. I think she's got one in a row since losing two in a row. I mean, we got Tisha Torres is facing um, is it Michelle Waterson, I believe. We got Cynthia Calvillo taking on Carla Esparza. What do you think? Do you think we're going to see another fight out of these two? Joanna and Rose? Um, I think it's very likely. Um, her or um, not Claudia, what was the other girl? Andrade. Uh, Jessica Andrade, yeah. Um, I think they're probably the most deserving. Um, but yeah, I do have to agree with this point Stefan made. Um, this was a starching. Um, Rose knocked her down twice in that fight. Actually, she knocked her down before that knockout came. Um, so it, it was a complete domination. But uh, Joanna had been, you know, the only and the most dominant champion um, in that division, uh, you know, since Carla was champ. Started. Well, that's true. Carla was champion. Uh, but um, yeah, I I think for the UFC they could use Joanna easily. I think she's marketable. I think she's done a great job being champion, 
And I think the rematch, you know, does have interest in it. But there's a lot of girls in that division that are interesting that they've sold main events on that, you know, maybe weren't the most, you know, high prestige uh, fighters out there. So there's a lot of, you know, things they could do with Rose and her championship. I think going back to Joanna kind of makes sense just because she was just a dominant champion. But, you know, it is tough when you have a fight like this fight where it wasn't really competitive on any level. It was Rose just running through her and finishing her within three minutes. But, um, yeah, I think they have a lot of options for her. Um, and none of them are super, like, you know, m- you know, sell a million. Um, but I think her and Joanna make sense. I think her and Andrade make sense. Obviously, Claudia's in the wings, and so is uh, Carolina. So, And there's n- new girls coming up that, you know, sell really well. And if they can get a couple wins, they could match them up against Rose. So there's a lot of options here, but it's hard to say what's the most definitive one. But I think Joanna kind of makes sense. Um, and it could be, you know, another high-profile pay-per-view. They're slotted as a co-main or something like that. So I don't know. It's tough to say. Um, as we move on, just real quickly, just a one-word answer from all of you. Um, if uh, Rose and Joanna fought again in six months, who are you picking, Mark? Um. Maybe I go with Joanna still, but that's so dumb. Logically, okay, Marcus, uh, Cody, and TJ are fighting again in six months. Who are you picking? Yeah, maybe TJ. I'm, these are all. These are all. That's tough. the thing. Like even like the one where like a girl. I mean, let me go. Let me ask the rest of the guys. I mean, me personally, I go. Um, I probably make the same. I definitely pick. You know what? I'm picking the same two fucking picks. I'll be honest. Steph, what do you got? We're nailing the one word answer segment. Yeah, huh? sorry, Cody, <laughs> Cody, and uh, Rose. Rose, Cody and TJ, front running, baby. Uh, Mike, what do you got? Uh, probably Rose and CJ. Oh, fair enough. These are close, though, man, especially the Bantamweight one where they were throwing so hard that I was like, how are – no one's surviving this much longer. Um, couple other big – a couple other wins for some guys here. We got to give James Vick some credit here, man. He's really good. And Joe Duffy's tough, tough guy. Getting another win there. Um, Wonderboy Thompson was too much for Jorge Masvidal, despite what I think all of us wanted. I mean, I know not all of us picked Masvidal, but I think we all wanted him to win. Um, and Johnny Hendricks' fight, I just thought it was a point there, Steph, which was nice that we're like, hey, he looks like Johnny Hendricks again. I mean, he woke up a little bit. Yeah, he, he didn't just get starched. Um, you know, he got lit up. He, he definitely got hit by a lot of things. But um, we, we saw him have... We saw him have that fire, right? It's you see guys get down, you see like when their heart's not in it. But uh, after you know he wasn't getting clean finished early on, he he wanted to come back. You know, granted whether he was capable of it or not, because apparently we got this new hot upcoming prospect. Um, Mike was the precursor to say it because everything I've read about him points out what a handsome man this is. <laughs> that uh, people are like, this could be the new Vitor. He says all the right things. And he he puts that pressure on himself now, so you know um, I don't I don't think this takes away from Johnny at all. I don't think this is the thing. I just think he ran. They put him against one possibly a next big thing. He he put the mantle of wanting to be the next great Brazilian legend. Um, he's undefeated right now, so why not? Um, no, Ma- one thing. Uh, just one thing I want to say during this Johnny Hendricks fight is that. As I was watching the fight on my TV, oh, and one thing I wasn't able to go to Sal's uh, dad's uh, party because I actually got kind of sick on during the weekend. Mm-hmm. So GSP fever, but, gotcha. Go ahead. But uh, one thing I, I did that while I was watching it on TV and I was looking at Hendrix, I Googled Johnny Hendrix and I Google imaged him just so I could see, wow, this man once had abs. What happened to him? 
Like at this point, it has to be like a pituitary problem, right? He bought a steakhouse, and then for that one countdown episode, when he says, "Why would I have ever have a dietitian? I have my own steak restaurant." I was like, "It's not going to go well from here." Um, credit to Mark here. Um, I want to give some credit to Marcus here for this OSB versus Corey Anderson fight, which was it took uh, eleven minutes and twenty five seconds. Mark, I believe you are calling a left head kick for 11 minutes and 25 seconds. What do you think, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's just a classic tool. Um, you know, when you have fighters with different stances that those lead hand, those backhand uh, kicks and strikes are always open. And OSP has a great high kick. And I, I noticed that, you know, the way that um, – uh, what was his name? The guy that he fought. I'm totally blanking right now. Uh, Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson. Um, I mean, he he doesn't have strong hand defense, right? Like when he blocks head kicks, he's not putting two arms up and stuff like that. So yeah, it seemed like it was open. And he, I, they obviously, you know, the the head kick that finished the fight was brutal and very impressive. But I I always want to see the replay of that second one because that melted Corey's fucking face, where it, it basically gleamed right after, like right in front of his face. His mouthpiece flew out, and I was like, oh, that was a bad one. And it never showed that one on the replay. But you know, obviously, that was a weapon that was open, and uh, he utilized it well. So yeah trying to get mark's props here and he's just like oh you know no problem just you know you pick through two you, I'm, ta- I'm talking about how good of an analyst you are you pick three of the five fights wrong i'm trying to give you something and you're just like no, no that's what i'm saying like, I, feel, I can't be too high horse <laughs> i picked bisbing and uh uh joanna and cody you know so i just want to say like just, i'm just i'm just saying because there. he doesn't look like jesus anymore it doesn't mean he's still not saintly I'm just no, saying, like, I mean, yes, like, just like last week, I'm like, we all pick Cody. I'm like, Mark, I know you're picking TJ. And Mark's like, no, I'm not. It was just teed up for you, too, too. That time. I got I got Eddie Alvarez cold feet now. You know, it's like I bake on these guys too much sometimes. Didn't you pick Eddie Alvarez to knock out uh, Dos Anjos, at least? He did that Probably, too. but then I picked him to beat uh, uh, McGregor, and I knew he wasn't going to win that fight. And this fight, I didn't know... Cody was going to win for sure, hands down. I knew it was going to be tough, but I had a good inkling that Cody had a good shot to win that. That was kind of a dumb bet for TJ, but eh, dude, prove, you know, prove me wrong. So, um, All right, uh, so this was uh, the best card of the year. All right? I mean, I can't I have to think about some other good ones, but definitely, yeah, probably. I mean, probably. G- I mean, GSP winning that title is one of my favorite moments of this year, right up there with like Mighty Mouse hitting that uh, what are we calling it? He doesn't want us to call it the mouse trap, but fuck, it looked like a mouse. I'm cool with the mouse trap. But... Like we said, for what we let off with, three brand new champions. Three I, new I, champions. I'm, that's it, right? That's there. never happened. Straight up. Because I'm thinking about the other times I've been three title fights, and it's like once or twice other, two, one or two other times. I mean, hell, getting two new champions. I remember when we got two new champions this, the night that uh, McGregor knocked out um, Aldo and Weidman, and uh, Rockhold knocked out Weidman. I remember thinking, wow, two new champions. Don't think that's going to happen that often. Three. I don't remember. And I'll say even more than that, for me at least, three definitive finishes. There, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess Joanna disputes the tap, but no, no she those does, were, she's, not, she's not disputing that she lost. She does, you know. Right, but but those were that's what I was saying. Like those were definitive finishes. Like there's no question. Like oh, was this an early stoppage? All those dudes went down. All of them got beat up case closed new champions i think that for me that's more impressive I, I, i'd rather see a finish if these were all decisions i'd be like oh that was cool that was exciting but to have someone get clapped like that three times was pretty sweet 
And um, Walt Harris going like a blatant illegal head kick after the referee had separated him and Mark Godbeer and then being surprised he got DQ'd was... I enjoyed that part as well. And shout out to Randy Brown for uh, taking the Dana White looking for a fight championship off Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall had taken that title off of Sage Northcutt back at uh, last December when we were in Sacramento. Um, the tra- Before we get on to this card that's happening this weekend, um, I just want to say when you go on Reddit MMA, sometimes you get some interesting stuff. And when you read Fight Pass is Shady, uh, you should know UFC Fight Pass is using your PC to crypto mine. Your CPU is being used to mine without your knowledge on a service you already paid for. Um, so someone figured out, and this is legit, that uh, Fight Pass was... I'm not smart enough to explain this exactly, but um, it, it basically Fight Pass was using everybody's computers to mine for Bitcoin. So, and it wasn't a sophisticated enough operation for anybody to think the UFC actually had anything to do with this. But for that one guy at the UFC who pulled this off, and we've all been bankrolling his, I don't know, uh, savings. I, I mean, I hope you got your money out, man. Like, I hope you collected on your on your Bitcoins because uh, they, you know, they killed it off and then didn't acknowledge that it happened. So that was a little weird. Uh no one has any thoughts on the fact that we were just used for as a crypto farm. But... I still don't get it. I mean, whatever. Eddie Basically, hey, for, is uh, fucking up my graphic card market because there is a mid-tier graphic card which is used. I don't. For bit- well, basically, I don't have any. Mind. I don't have any Bitcoin in my computer. No, so but uh, you need to use compute. You need to use P- CPUs to mine because it. In order to uh, regulate the amount of Bitcoin out there, you use computers to complex. You have to use computers to solve uh, complex mathematical equations. So that there's only so much Bitcoin out there. And that's how you mine Bitcoin. And what this guy was doing, using everybody who had Fight Pass to mine for Bitcoin. So he wasn't stealing from me. No. No, he, he was, was just using us to steal. He borrowed, he borrowed your drill to rob the bank. All right. So, you know, I was hooking him up. All right. Whatever. Okay. Let him live. Fair enough. Um, trying to see if anything else happened uh, besides that. Besides the fact that Artem Lobov said, Lobov said he deserves to be cut. Which, I, <laughs> which I'm Artem. I would shut the fuck up because no one's we're not we're not booking you and Paulie Malinaji. All right, that's not happening. So maybe take the UFC job while it's still there. Um. All right. Um. There's a bunch of cards just for the rest of the year. So every week there's gonna be fights we're talking about. Um. This coming Saturday night, from the Ted. What the fuck? I can't read. Let's say Ted Constant Convac- Con- Convocation Center from Norfolk. All right. From Norfolk, Virginia, which um, I think is where Ally Quinta yelled at everybody. Not positive, but I think that's where it was. We got a UFC fight night that's actually pretty good. Um, not really sure why some fights are on the main card versus other ones being on the prelims, but we got Dustin Poirier and Anthony Pettis uh, going to go five rounds. Matt Brown, Diego Sanchez, and Matt Brown's retirement fight. Got Arlovsky in there, Nate Marquardt, uh, Rafael Sunsau, Joe Lazan and Clay Guida throwing down. Then a couple of fights we're going to pick here as well. Um, let's just lead off with the main event. Um, Anthony Pettis is uh, coming into this fight off of, i assuming, a loss. Just because we haven't seen this man be successful in quite some time. Oh my god, he beat Jim Miller. Didn't even remember that happened. Anthony Pettis has won two of his last six fights. Uh, Dustin Poirier, on the other hand, the last time we saw him... 
is uh, when Eddie Alvarez uh, had to throw some illegal knees to get that W, and then it became a no contest. Uh, he only has one loss at lightweight since coming back up to the weight class. That was against Michael Johnson last September. Um, Pettis is coming into this fight as a favorite. Minus 125. Stefan, the way I said favorite. Um, it's a little bit of a surprise for me. What do you got here? <laughs> uh, I'm doing something I haven't done very often in uh, recent times. I'm picking Anthony Pettis. Um, I think you and I had talked about it. I think a lot of Pettis's issues, when you kind of broke them down, it didn't seem like he lost anything physically. It just seemed like something mentally was gone after he took a thumping. You know, Poirier packs power, but even though he got, like, uh, Dos Anjos thumped Pettis for that belt, he didn't actually put him out. He didn't actually end it, from what I recall. It just was a very lopsided decision um, of taking a whooping. So he's tough. Poirier has shown he can get wild. He's prone to more technical strikers. That's how Zombie got him. Um, I can't remember. He's been put out once or twice more. I'm blanking on who the other guy that got him. McGregor. But, um, he could... Oh, well, that's, that's that's not his fault. That's a laser pinpoint accurate left right there. But, uh, you know, I love Poirier, but I think there's kind of a limit to his game. He, he kind of just hovers around that back 10. He's got power, but he's got holes that leave himself open. Um, and I think Pettis got it. I think he's getting his, his mojo back after that Jim Miller win. Um, You just totally convinced me. I'm not even kidding. I, I, I'm going Anthony Pettis. I wasn't strongly with Dustin Poirier, but you said all those things, and I'm like, yeah, man, okay. I've seen Dustin Poirier knocked out three times. Sure. <laughs> Let's, I'll go Anthony Pettis. Um, yeah, for the reason Stefan said. Uh, Mark, what do you got? Oh, yeah, I think this is really a tough fight to call because I think Dustin has had a lot of momentum um, in the past, though it's been stifled a little bit with uh, um, his loss against uh, Johnson. But it looked good at 55. Um, I think stylistically, they – he doesn't match up super great with Pettis. Um, obviously, the stand-up game is where they're both really strong. And I think Pettis has a little bit more, you know, tools there. He's, you know, I think he gauges the range a little bit better than Dustin. Um, and I think the submission game, I think Pettis, you know, it has the ability to snap up a submission really quick. Um, but Dustin kind of does too. He, he's not a slouch on the ground either. Um, I'm going to go with Dustin, but I think it's really close. And I, I could see this being a stand-up fight where the range becomes a little bit of a factor and Anthony is able to dictate that a little bit more and land more kicks. Um, but I, I like Dustin at 55. I feel like he's a notch up where he was at 45. Um, and he, he did look good in his last fight against Eddie. I mean, he was tuning him up until he got those illegal knees. So um, we'll see. I think it's a really tough fight. I think it's it's kind of a, a coin toss, but I'll make it interesting. Go with Pettit. Uh, I mean, Dustin, sorry. Um, Marcus, given how Dustin Poirier, the times we've seen him knocked out, um, Actually, he would port, Zombie didn't knock him out. Zombie choked him, I think. Maybe, but I, I remember... He's only been well, knocked I mean, out by heavy-handed guys. Well, and, I was going to ask, wasn't both of those off counter-strikers, throwing counter-strikes? And while Pettis doesn't, isn't a big fan of being crowded, a lot of his knockouts like are off of people getting aggressive with him and him, you know... I remember he like it wasn't even a knockout, but he dropped Gilbert off Gilbert just getting too close to him, dropping him. Do you think Dustin Poirier's defense being a little suspect and... Pettis being a more than adequate counter striker might be a problem for uh, the Louisiana native here. Poirier. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, like I mentioned, I think stand up is going to be tough. And I think Anthony um, might edge him out a little bit there, but they're really different. Um, like I said, Pettis historically doesn't have those kind of hands. He doesn't have that one punch power to put you away. And that's the guys that he ended up, you know, losing to knock out Johnson and Connor. 
they have that ability, right? One punch, they're out. Pettis hasn't really shown that ability with his hands. He hasn't shown that that power. What he has shown is at range, um, his kicks can be lethal, um, especially the head kicks and mixing it up, going to the legs into the body to you know eventually get to the head. Um, I don't think I, I don't see Dustin falling into those traps. Those are you know notorious kickboxing traps, which I think Dustin is well versed at. You know, if we're talking about someone who sits in the pocket and throws heavy heavy uh, hitters then I think, you know, Dustin's a little more susceptible. But I think Anthony's style doesn't really jive super well with Dustin's to make to, to have me think that it's going to be easy knockout for him stylistically. But um, I think it's going to be a, a tough scrap. And I think when it comes to the stand-up, Dustin has a little more power in his hands. He's a little deadlier with his hands. Um, but I think he, uh, Anthony Pettis has a lot more options standing up, and I think he can dictate the range a little bit more. So I think it is going to be a stand-up fight. I think it's going to be a good, fun, entertaining fight. Um, and, a, and a really tough one to call, but I just like Dustin. I think he's a little sharper with his hands um, and a little heavier too. So we'll see. Mike? I don't think it's going to be a close fight. Dustin Poirier is not the type of fighter Anthony Pettis has traditionally had problems with. In fairness, Anthony Pettis didn't have trouble with any fighters for a while there. And then he had problems with like all of them. Like just one after another. Um, Matt Brown. Traditionally, it's the type of fighter like Clay Guida or that type. Uh, Matt Brown, Diego Sanchez. This is Matt Brown's retirement fight officially. And it is Diego Sanchez's retirement fight. Only we hope so because he didn't say anything. Uh, Matt Brown coming into this fight, uh, minus 350. Diego plus 290. Um, I just want to say as Matt Brown's last fight. I'm, I'm picking Matt Brown. And I just want to say Matt Brown's late career resurgence where he won like eight in a row. And then we saw him fight Robbie Lawler in San Jose. And he didn't win the fight, but he just would not go away. I was I really enjoyed that like year and a half, two year span where we all had to wonder if Matt Brown is getting a welterweight title shot. So he had a really good career. Uh, Steph, what do you got? Sorry. Um, I got Diego. Um, Matt, The Matt Brown ride was fun, um, but Matt Brown can get wrestled, and Diego Sanchez can wrestle. So, um, oh, man, if if it goes how I think it's going to go, Matt Brown is going to lose a kind of uneventful retirement match to Diego Sanchez's wrestling. But, um, yeah, he, he's always been a fun action fighter, but he's got limitations, and Diego is still churning him out. So hopefully he retires too. Steph taking that plus 290 underdog like a boss. Mike. I fear that if Diego Sanchez wins this fight, he's going to think he's still got it. I feel Diego Sanchez is going to think he's still got it until he's 90 years old. I really fear for that, man. Um, I don't really care which one of these guys wins. I'll pick Matt Brown. Okay, this isn't the who do you care is going to win fucking thing, man. It's who do you think is going to win. Mark, what do you got? Oh, It's going to be Matt Brown. I mean, Diego Sanchez is washed, man. That dude's not even washed. It's like he was put in the washing machine, and he wasn't even allowed the rinse cycle. So he is still dripping wet. That's how washed he is. I'm not sure how that's even worse. But okay, Mark, what do you got? Oh, how is it not worse? Have you ever tried to put a fully wet pair of jeans into the dryer? You're going to be there all day. Okay. You ain't just walking away from Mike's point, Bobby. You ain't just walking away. From okay, me. fair. That's fair. It didn't the spin. We didn't get the spin cycle. Um, Mark, what do you got here? 
Um, I'm also going with Matt, although I would uh, disagree with Mike's wash scenario because just looking at these records, like I'm looking at Matt Brown's last three fights where he got finished in the third and two of them in the first and the second in. It's surprisingly, to, to my knowledge, and I wouldn't know this if I didn't look at his record, like Diego's a little spotty with a lost Aliquinta and a win, but it's been like win loss, win loss. Um, I, I don't think he's going to do particularly well against Matt Brown because I think the um, the weight difference is going to be a bit of a factor. I think Matt Brown is kind of a bigger, lengthier welterweight at that as well. Um, but I think it could be a really entertaining fight. It could be a, a good scrap. Uh, I just I see a lot of clinch work with Diego in Matt Brown's clinch and eating elbows and stuff like that. Um, and I don't like it. But um, like Steph said, if Diego kind of goes back to his wrestling game, which I think was always his best skill asset that he very rarely goes to, if he's able to get on top of Matt Brown and get into mount or something – um, the dude's really dangerous there. We, you know, um, a lot of people might have forgotten that he's not just a guy who just stands and bangs. He used to be a guy that grounds and pounds with the best of them. Um, if he can do that to Matt Brown, he he could, you know, very easily win this fight. I think he's going to have a hard time getting there. And I also think in Diego's mind, he doesn't like to go lean on those skills because the fans like to see him and the other guy just go nuts. And I think that'll be to his detriment in this fight. Um, Matt Brown from season seven of the ultimate fighter retiring Diego Sanchez from season one of the ultimate fighter. No plans of retiring. <sighs> it's not going to end well. Um, all right. As I accidentally close this fight card. Um, also on this, did I get everybody's pick? Yeah. I think okay. so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, John Dodson, Marlon Moraes, uh, a battle of two gentlemen. Uh, look, you know, I'm skipping like three fights in this card. Uh, there's a section of four fights. There's a section of the main card we'd like to call old guy versus another guy, um, where we have Arlovsky against Junior Albini, Nate Marquardt, Cesar Ferreira, Rafael Asuncao, Matthew Lopez. Uh, the first two old gentlemen shouldn't be fighting. And Rafael Asuncao, I'm assuming they're just trying to get the guy a W. And Joe Lazon, Clay Guido will be fun, but inconsequential. But I digress. John Dotson, Marlon Moraes. John Dotson, I believe his last fight was when he got that uh, W over Eddie Wineland. Yep. Took a W off of Eddie Wineland, coming back off of his John Lineker loss, uh, making him 2-1 and one at bantamweight since his return. Uh, Marlon Moraes, um, his lost to, he lost to Rafael Asuncao. Split decision back at UFC 212. Really close, honestly. People thought it could have gone either way. A lot of Asuncao fights are like that, quite frankly. Uh, John Dodson is coming into this fight, which I got no betting on. So John Dodson, Marlon Moraes. Um, John Dodson, worth mentioning, has got a knockout victory over the current champion of this weight class. Let me start off here with uh, Steph. What do you got here, buddy? Uh, I'm, I'm going to surprisingly take uh, the younger prospect in Moraes. Um, I remember I liked him in World Series of Fighting. Um, it was a took him longer to get here than I thought he would. Um, nothing against Dodson. Great skill set. I just see Dodson's he's seeming a little long in the tooth to me. Um, maybe he's slowing down a notch, but um, it's one of those things. It's who who do I think has more drive at this point? And I think Morace is the prospect that wants to get there right now. Um, yeah, I got Marlon Morace also mostly because I'm waving. I'm like, I'm the person waving that World Series of Fighting flag. So that's not a promotion anymore. And, um, yeah, I watched a lot of Marlon Moraes fights, fights against people who, quite frankly, weren't in his zip code talent-wise. Um, suffered a loss in his first UFC fight. 
A lot of people, that's what happens to a lot of guys. Um, John Dotson's real tough, but you can beat him. And Marlon Moraes comes from a good camp. Um, Frankie Edgar's team up there, Mark Henry and all those guys build a good game plan. Um, and John Dotson, damn, this is actually John Dotson out of Jackson. This should be a fun, this should be a, two well-prepared gentlemen going out there, but I got Moraes. Uh, Mark, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I am going to go with Dotson. Um, maybe it's just my knack for trying to mix it up because it is a really uh, tough fight to call. Um, but John, in my eyes, Dodson has really only lost to like really the cream of the crop. And I think Marlon could very easily be of that caliber and um, could get a win here. I think it's an extremely difficult fight to call. Um, I just I, I like Dodson's ability and his speed to, to mix it up a little bit more. Um, he has heavy hands, but he can also take it to the, the ground. You know, he's a really well-versed guy. And I think Marlon is, too. I think his stand-up is really good. I think his loss against Asuncao was razor close and really a sunset won that because it was in brazil where he tends to get the favor there on the decision so um yeah i think i think it's a, a coin toss but you know mix it up i'll pick dodson i like his heavy hands I, I like his athleticism i think he's really quick um and he has a great camp behind him as well so why not mike i'm gonna have to go with dodson as well uh for one of the reasons is like what mark mentioned um i still think dodson's one of the higher echelon guys at 135 um he arguably gave uh demetrius one of his uh tougher competitions during his uh, title defenses and he still carries a lot of power for a 135er and also i think that if anything the fact that dillashaw is champion again and he's back in the same division it might give him a fire and maybe uh instill some of that desire that you say maybe he's lost and uh the other reason to pick him, well, I, I need to try to make up more ground. Uh, Stefan picked uh, Morais, so uh, yeah, Dotson. Okay, I mean, me and me and Steph both picked Morais. We're both directly above you, um, so this might be able to help you out here. A um, couple fights we're not picking, but worth mentioning: Tatiana Suarez. We really didn't give her a lot of attention because none of us watched that season a tough. But uh, she was she would have been an Olympian for wrestling, and then they found thyroid cancer. And she came back from that and won the season a tough, uh, tough the Joanna Claudia season. She hasn't fought since that time, about a year and a half ago. Her coming back in this weight class, uh, which is looking for, you know, uh, oh well, hell, we have a new champion at 115. So getting another, getting some, getting some more, getting some more contenders in there wouldn't hurt. And then Sage Northcutt, I just want to bring up Super Sage because uh, it came out today that he auditioned to play Drago's son in the Creed sequel. No Which, way. That's what he said, and Sage doesn't lie. Okay? He's a good Christian boy. Um Yeah, I I I'd I'd like to see that. It's, it's really all right I there. Can't, can you imagine Sage Northcutt without a big old cheesy smile on his face? I don't think yeah. they're gonna have to yeah, see the guy he, doesn't, your... he has a, a serious face in his commercial as a teenager in a Star Wars toy lightsaber ad. Yeah. He's doing his flips and kick. He's real serious about it. He's not even a little bit smiling. Mike got this that look on his face. Like he, Mike that got boy, a look on his face like he has this commercial. Mike looking at his you face like... the commercial, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Mike can't see the commercial. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely be doing that. Uh, um, all right, let's pick this last fight here. Angela Hill, Nina Ansaroff. Um, Angela Hill uh, returned to the UFC, uh, splitting her fights, losing to Jessica Andrade, then beating Ashley Yoder. Um, and, and Nina Ansaroff, um, 
got her first UFC win back in January when she choked out Jocelyn Jones Liebarger um, back at UFC Fight Night, Yair Rodriguez, BJ Penn. I had blacked out most of that evening from my memory based on how sad it made me. Um, I got no betting lines here. Um, Stefan, you know what? Let's make Mike pick this one first, actually. Mike, Angela Hill, Nina Ansaroff. Who you got, Uh, You know, I think that if there's one person that learned a lot in their time away from the UFC and was really able to grow as a fighter uh, from their first stint in the UFC, it was definitely Angela Hill. Uh, What she was able to do when she was in... um, Crap, why am I blanking on the name? In Invicta, and even what she showed in her... uh, in her loss against crap, why am I, Andrash, was it? Was it Andrash she fought? Yeah, Andrash. In her, you know, in her fight against Andrash and Yoder, uh, she looks like a pretty different fighter than from what she was when she was in the Ultimate Fighter. So I'm gonna go with Hill on this one. Stefan. Oh, I'm definitely going Angela Hill. Angela Hill is awesome. They threw her into the deep water. When she got back, I think we all knew that, like, whoa, this is a little bit, like her name, it was a bit overkill to throw her into that fight as on her comeback. But, um, yeah, she's vastly improved. I think this is a much more proportionate thing to get her on track. Uh, But props to Nina Ansaroff. I saw her and Nunez had a really high-end Beauty and the Beast Halloween costume. Like, they did it big time. Like, it's really, like, the makeup on Nunez. You got to stay champion for these reasons, Stefan. That shit's not cheap, okay? (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's like high-end cosplay worthy of the convention tour. Um, fun Halloween costume from them, but um, I like Angela Hill. Mark? Yeah, I'm very much in the same class. Where I think this is kind of a tough fight, um, but I, I just like Angela Hill so much. Um, I like the way she fights, too. I like her style. Um, I like her confidence. And, yeah, she has cons- consistently have, has faced – the top echelon of this division um, and, and it's come up short against those top girls, you know, but um, I think Nina is it, it, close to there. I, I don't know if I, I consider her in the same graces as Tisha Torres and um, some of the other girls like Jessica Andrade, who Angela Hill has had to uh, come up against and came up short. Um, but yeah, I, I like Hill. I, I think she could get it done, but it is going to be a tough fight. Man, I really wanted to pick answer off because I was enjoying the fact that none of these fights so far, we've all been unanimous. But I don't, I haven't seen it in her that I don't, th- I don't think she's getting any markedly better. And Jocelyn Jones-Leiberger was a bit of a let's get this girl a win type fight, it seemed like, just a booking of it. Um, so I'm going to go with Angela Hill, but Nina's tough. So it may, we might get this thing going to decision because she's not to be trifled with generally. But Angela's developed so quickly and Alliance MMA has been so good for her, um, especially her, her uh, movement. And striking, so I'm, I'm going to go with Angela Hill here. Um, so yeah, this is a uh, not a bad card, quite frankly. People have, and then uh, our favorite, one of our favorite, Court McGee, on them prelims against He's still around against Sean Strickland. Yeah, don't not hate on Court McGee. We see Court McGee everywhere. All right, he's the fucking Where's Waldo of MMA. Okay. All right, um, we're gonna do a little segment here. We like to call. Fuck, Stefan, what was it called? Memoirs of a Fight Fan. <laughs> Memoirs of a Fight Fan is what we're calling this thing. Um, and this one's going to be um, really simple, I guess. Um, Stefan, who's the greatest fighter of all time, in your opinion? 
We're not going to argue this. Just give your reasons, whoever you think it is. In your God opinion, damn it. I'm going to just come out with the most. Uh, I'm going to come out with the one. I'm the big asterisk, right? I'm from the Bay Area, San Francisco Giants, Barry Bonds, big asterisk. Why not make the asterisk argument? It's John Jones. I, I get it. The, the, everything is, is tainted. The drug test, the terrible person. But I have never seen just a fighter demolish across the board. Um, you know, I guess Mighty Mouse is doing it, but it's for the reason Mighty Ma Mouse doesn't sell. He's a smaller dude. There's just something more impressive when the larger the man is, the larger they fight. And, you know, it hasn't been in recent years. Maybe it's because John Jones ruined it, you know? Because um, I, I said it too. Maybe Daniel Cormier is arguably the second greatest fighter of all time. There's just this one mountain he cannot overcome. I have no proof that Daniel Cormier is not the greatest fighter ever. It's just I, it's hard for me to put it there because I've seen Jones annihilate him, and I, I get the asterisk. There's a, there's a, I'll, every other argument is fair, and I, so I'll never argue against anyone else. But to my eyes, I have never seen domination like John Jones. I thought John Jones is the scariest man on the planet. Like, that's a man that I think can defeat every man. You know, I was interested in him at heavyweight. Like, that's the king of men right there. That's that's the one, ladies and gentlemen. Um, he had a complete game. And so, asterisk, but just the eyeball test was always John Jones for me. So, Stefan's greatest fighter of all time is John Jones. Man, just remember there was like two weeks there where we were like, we might see John Jones versus Brock Lesnar. What a happy fucking two weeks that was. Um, Mike. What's your who do, who do you think in your opinion who is your greatest of all time? I will keep it very topical to the last week, and I will pick George St. Pierre. And here is why, and I think it's very simple and very um, obvious. If we're not counting his fight against Matt Sarah, where you know it was, you know, I think very fluky. When was the last time this man lost? I mean, Matt Hughes beat him like. 15 years ago or something. <laughs> it was something like that. <laughs> you know, and George St. Pierre, he, him, he has an ability to make very good, exceptional fighters look average and neutralize whatever it is they're good at. Now, if we've talked about ad nauseum, if the guy's a wrestler, he'll meet them there. Or if the guy has really good stand-up, well, He'll box him. He'll, he'll he'll learn a job and 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 box him to all hell. Uh, when he was fighting Tiago Alves, you know he complained to, to his quarter that his his groin was like tore tore up. And Greg Jackson said, "I don't give a shit. Go back out there and fight." And you know what he damn well did. He went back out there and fought, and he found a way to get through having a torn groin by continuing to take down Tiago Alves. Yeah. This, this is a man who just came off four years away from the sport and was able to take the 185 title at a weight class where he has, I think, never fought before. Nope. Granted, all right, none of us really thought Michael Bisping – in the year and a half he was champion, was the best 185-pounder in the world. But you still got to put it on the resume. He still took the belt from the champion. That's fair. Um, Marcus, what do you got here, brother? Who, in your opinion, is the greatest of all time? Yeah, I, I, I'd want to come with something original. And I'm trying to think of it. And I have to agree well, with I mean, Steph. 
Yeah, I was gonna say you don't have to be whatever you believe. You believe. Yeah, it, it's Sean Jones. I just look at by like who's the guy that hasn't really ever lost, and all of his losses were just not because he got bested, because he cheated, and either during the match or before or after it. That seems to be his, you know, greatest foil. But he's never lost a fight in the cage, and I think that goes a really long way in making you the best fighter. I mean, because I was thinking of DJ too, but. He has two legitimate losses. I mean, he, he ran one back and was able to get the win. Um, but he still he still got bested in the octagon, where someone was better than him that day. John Jones, I have not seen that. The one time he was tested, he had to dig deep, but he still got that win against Gustafson. And all his other fights have been more or less cakewalks for him. He hasn't really been challenged or pushed that much. So, yeah, I got to go with John Jones. Not exciting or fun, but. Um, I'm going to go with uh, – I, I would have said Demetrius Johnson up until Saturday – I'm going to take George St. Pierre. That was on, and it's, you know what? Championships still matter on some level, at least to me. This is this is purely subjective, which championships still matter. And Michael Bisping was the champion of the world, which means he's the best because he beat the best who beat the other best to beat the other best to become the champion. Um, and uh, George St. Pierre took that from him after not fighting for four years. And prior to that, he he beat two to three, two or three, two generations at least of welterweight holding that title. And the list of names he beat is no joke. And he's got more wins than everybody else. He's tied with Bisping now. They have the most wins in that company. And that means the premier mixed martial arts organization in the world. There's no wrong answer here. I get the John Jones one. I almost said Anderson. I almost said Demetrius. I almost said, you know. All them, but I'm going to go George St. Pierre and Marcus. As Marcus said it earlier, if he could somehow hold this shit down for even like three defenses, like only even, there's like no one holds any belts anymore. But if he can hold this shit for like three successful defenses, like holy shit, that'd be mind boggling. But yeah, I got I got George. Um, but yeah, that's this is this is why weight classes exist. So you can just argue shit like this. All right, um, so we're gonna do stuff we like. I promised you Stranger Things. Stranger Things is going to be delayed till next week. Um, but we are going to talk about Thor. What are we doing, Thor? We're doing Thor at the end. All right? We're talking about Thor at the end, Mike. All right? <laughs> We're going to have – Mike's a little bit disappointed. I think Mike feels I somehow chose Mark over him because one of them was going to have to go. At the end no, of I swear. One of, them I... Was gonna have to, one of them was going to have to go because Mark hasn't seen Stranger Things. No, no, Mike no. Hasn't I, seen swear, Thor. I swear I don't care. I just know as soon as Thor starts getting talked about, I need to get the hell out of here. Well, I know, we're, we're, we're gonna do Thor last. Um, All right, that's cool. Let's uh, let's just do stuff we like in general. Um, I finished season five of The Americans. I love that show. I'm a little bit unhappy that I've like it's like when you're watching a show that's still going on, and but you aren't watching it on the regular schedule. You're binging it. Like I'm caught up now. Season six is gonna. I'm like, it's not gonna happen for I think till next year. I don't know how to experience that show. Just one show, one week at a time. But I love that show. It's really well done. Um, that's really all I got. I played Uncharted two, but that game's like nine years old. So, um, Steph, go ahead. Um, nothing too new media wise. Uh, kind of just carrying on with my normal things. Uh, so instead, for my stuff, I like. Uh, if you're hearing this on Tuesday. Um, it's happy birthday to uh, our dear friend Mark, friend of the podcast, because he's on the podcast. Gotta be his friend. But am his friend by choice anyways. Love this kid. It's his birthday. 
Um, and for the stuff I am continuing, the stuff I always like simultaneously, it's my dog's birthday as well. Um, conveniently, they shared birthdays. My little pup is turning three. She's my sidekick. Um, I take her everywhere I can. Uh, love her to death. My stuff I always like. What do they do? Like woman crush forever on Instagram or something. Again, anyways, love my little bulldog to death. Uh, yeah. Happy birthday to the both. So just to make sure, by Mark, friend of the podcast, you don't mean Mark, host of the podcast, right? He does. It's his birthday tomorrow. The man who's oh. sitting here silently. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mark. Thanks. Yes, it's 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 why we saw Thor. Um, Mike, what do you got this week? <laughs> um, I've been spending a lot of uh, my time back in uh, New York studying, so I've kind of been pretty boring. I didn't watch any new uh, TV shows on Netflix really this week. Although, no, actually, there is one thing. I'm not going to make my stuff I like, but um, on Netflix, they have this thing called uh, Edward the Nazi King, which is talking about Edward, I think, the seventh, the one that abdicated to be with the uh, American divorcee. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, in England, man. What the hell? I have no, I have no idea the story, what the story is at all. I need more context. Uh, so it's talking about how um, Ed, uh, King Edward, he was uh, at the time known to have pretty strong affiliations uh, for or pro-German feelings, but recently declassified uh, FBI and CIA documents uh, through a Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, it's uncovered that uh, there was actually talk and rumors pretty strong rumors that Hitler was trying to see if he could get Edward back on the throne and use him as a, as propaganda to uh, like broker a, a peace treaty with, uh, with England. So that way he could get them out of the war. And uh, it also details how the United States and uh, Winston Churchill had to do a lot of different things to, try to keep uh the former king edward away from uh, from the nazis so i guess he actually wasn't that really good a guy <laughs> okay but all right, but besides that um the thing i like this week it's part of it is due to kind of my studying and having to pick up little snacks and stuff so my stuff i like this week pistachios they're delicious. Mike might have just busted out my favorite stuff we like we've ever done, which is a combination of Nazis and pistachios. <laughs> so wonderful. <laughs> um, Marcus, you got anything before we get into Thor? You want to get any game news? Uh, yeah, nothing game related this week. It's kind of a slow week. Um, there is DLC for um, Horizon Zero Dawn, which came out earlier this year that um, looks really cool. Uh, but I, I did run across a kind of random uh, YouTube channel that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, it's called Show Buckle, um, and this kid basically just covers uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, he does a really good job, and he has some really cool videos. Um, I particularly like the one where he kind of breaks down the um, video production of New Japan and kind of what makes their camera work and their kind of production values really kind of um, translate directly into showing the action better and making the hits just seem a little harder by not, you know, I guess WWE and stuff like that kind of do these weird camera tricks where you're not seeing the full impact. They do shaky cam to kind of 
try to embellish the impact and new Japan kind of stays away from that stuff and kind of keeps it more simple. Um, yeah. And he talks about a lot of the kind of like storylines and the aces of new Japan. And I've always been really interested in the company, but I don't really know where to start or what to watch. And I just stumbled upon a couple of his YouTube videos and really enjoyed them. So yeah, you're kind of interested in the, um, the strong style Poro wrestling of new Japan. Um, it, but you're, don't know anything about it. Uh, Show Buckle has a lot of cool videos. So you got to watch Omega versus Okada one. Then you watch Omega versus Okada two. Then you watch Omega versus Okada three, and then you get the full New Japan experience. Um, that was a joke, like for like the four people who watch New Japan who listen to our podcast at best. Um, all right, um, Mike. I'll see you guys next week. So next week, if Mark has not watched Stranger Things, we're going to kick Mark the fuck out at the end I of the won't. show. <laughs> I can so tell we, you now, I probably will not have So the end of next week's show is going to be a Stranger Things discussion unless something else comes out. That All right. See you guys. All right, All right guys. No, All right, boys. Shit. All right, boys and girls. We're just going to talk shit about Mike for the rest of the show. No, I'm good. Um... We all saw Thor on Friday with a belly full of Schipolini's pizza. Shout out to all two of them near us. Um, just I'll give my real, real quick review where I thought the movie was a lot of fun. And I think Mark Marvel's entire goal in making that movie was let's make sure everybody has a good time. Because it was every person I know who saw it, the first thing they said was that was one of the best times I've had in a movie theater in a while. Which I agree. It was really funny. And I don't know how to say the director's name, but the character he voiced at the I don't I mean what his last Taika, the director Taika Waititi and he voiced Korg, the rock monster. Yeah, the rock monster's last bit in this movie was maybe the hardest I've laughed in a movie in years. Um, I I the I thought it was a great I thought it was a again I thought it was a really fun movie. About halfway through it, I wondered where we're going. Where I'm just like. I don't know what the ending of this thing is. Like, this is jokes. Like, it just keeps going. There's more and more jokes. I kind of lost track. I'm like, at some point, we're going to wrap this thing up, but I don't see where it's going. But I was having such a good time. I really didn't care. So I thought it was great. Uh, a lot of fun. What do you think, Steph? Um, I loved it, personally. Um, I thought it was a really great time. You know, I've watched it so much that, you know, I've been watching other people's reviews, various, like, YouTube personalities and channels that I like. Um, you know, and some people they're putting in the argument that it's their favorite Marvel movie ever, period. Marcus, um, meet your mic, please. Um, I wouldn't say it was necessarily mine as much as I did love it, but I totally see the argument if it is your favorite, you know. Uh it has the silliness, it has the humor and like that, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy gives you. But I think in general, I would say people are more attached to the Thor characters or at least are aware of them. Um, you know, I think they really fucked up on Thor too. Uh, you know, Ghostbusters with Chris Hemsworth, they realize this guy is funny. This guy is, he knows how to be silly. He's got great comedic timing. If you've ever watched those hashtag Team Thor like web videos that came out around Civil War since Thor was left out, he had like a goofy little regular guy roommate. Um, he's a funny dude. And Thor 2 Dark World was trying to bank off of the Game of Thrones popularity where it wanted to go real grim. It wanted to go real dark, gritty, and it just totally flopped. I think most of us, by and large, feel that's the worst of the Marvel movies. So for number three to jump, um, and just being a fan of Taika Waititi, uh, he's a New Zealand director. He's worked on Flight of the Concords, who are one of my favorite like comedic groups. You know, it's this corny 
folk music thing. It's so cheesy. You think there's whenever you explain their shtick to someone, it seems goofy. Yet whenever I listen to them, whenever I hear them, they're funny. They had a great season of TV. Um, and it, as Corgi gives that same meek humor, it's just like it's just this very meek personality that that Flight of the Concords really kind of made a comedy thing. Um, and I loved it. You know, the characters were great. Everyone held their own. Two-time Oscar winner Kate Blanchett just having the time of her life in her role like um anthony hopkins when he was like uh having the time of life when the when loki is playing him in the beginning that play oh my god that play with matt damon that's like the goofy reenaction about how loki is amazing i'm jumping all over the place but it's just such a fun movie from beginning to end there's just a lot of really fun moments and um yeah pass it on marcus uh what'd you think of the movie brother yeah, no, I thought it was awesome. Um, I mean, the general consensus you have to agree with that they kind of went for a fun-loving, lighthearted romp, um, which I think is exactly what they needed um, coming off of the second film. Because I remember when you know they talked, they they set up the timeline of when all the Mar- Marvel movies are going to come out, so we knew that Thor was going to have a third movie. And after that second film, I really didn't think like I don't know what they could do to really get me on board to be excited. Um, but then you saw the first trailer and like, oh, I get it. You go for a completely different style of film than you did the second one, where it was completely lighthearted. It had this very synth 80s vibe throughout the whole film, which I think really just a credit to it. It had, you know, the Led Zeppelin song um, that was kind of like its main anthem. It just had a lot of fun stuff going into it. And I feel like they took Ragnarok Rock, which is kind of a very serious kind of story arc in the Thor comics or whatever. Um, and, they, and they made it lighthearted. They made it fun. And like Steph said, um, the Thor character can be a really fun character. You saw that in the first movie. I think Thor's at its comedic best when he's kind of a fish out of water. And they did that really well in the first movie, where it's like, here's this Asgardian god, and he doesn't know how to act in normal society. He walks down the middle of the street. He smashes cups of coffee when he wants more. That stuff was really funny. Um, They strayed away from that in the second one, where he's mostly in his realm, kind of in his environment. So he wasn't a fish out of the water. He's... Thor just doing Thor stuff, and that wasn't nearly as exciting. They went back to what they did in the first movie. They put him in an environment that he's a fish out of water. Here's this almighty god, but he's at the mercy of being captured by this Valkyrie character, and then he's thrown into this um, battle arena where he has to fight Hulk. And I would say, I mean, the one thing I didn't want to say about the film, it was really fun, and I totally understand how in the trailers they kind of had to show Hulk to kind of get people on board, like, oh, this movie has Hulk in it. That's really cool. I'm more interested to seeing the film. I do think it would have been such a fun thing if you didn't know Hulk was in this movie. And who's he fight? You don't know who this champion is. We would have lost our damn mind. Yeah, it would have been really cool. And I think they, they, they got some of that in here because I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of forgot at the end of Doctor Strange they basically play that scene. Yeah, me too, so man. When Doctor Strange makes his cameo, that's really cool. And I think it just kind of it, it does what the MCU does so well is it ties everything together. All these people actually exist at the same time. So yeah, Doctor Strange is going to run into Thor when he's in New York or whatever. Um, and then having Hulk be that kind of I think that reveal would have been really strong. I understand why they didn't do it, um, but yeah, like like you said about like everyone would have lost their shit if you didn't know Hulk was in this movie. You just heard rumors, and then he comes out and they fight each other and stuff. Um, even even that being known, Th- um, that would have been some pro wrestling shit. We're like, who's the mystery opponent? Oh shit, the Rock is back. It'd yeah, be something it, like that's basically it, what that would have been. And it is something they, that would have gone spoiled instantly. You know, they blew it early with the trailer, 
But if you remember, like going back, that's the reason that trailer was my stuff I like. They 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 commit they went pot committed on that trailer. They they knew they had to cash in on one of their chips, but that's what made that trailer so epic at the time. Um, but I totally get what you're saying is, but we just live in an age where you can't hide these secrets anymore. Um, at least it maybe if Thor had been doing better individually, but they lost a lot of the Thor niche audience from that second one. So um, you know they I guess they didn't have the momentum. But yeah, that's what made that trailer so epic when you get that like the friend from work you know we probably heard that joke like a thousand times by the time we saw the movie but you know it was great the first few times yeah and that being said still lots of fun great scenes that you know none of the spoilers uh uh and then the trailer spoiled for us because um like bobby said the, the movie's kind of jam-packed almost to an absurd extent with jokes whereas there's almost not a scene where there's not a gag whether it's like a verbal joke that they say or some kind of physical joke there's you can tell like when they're working through the script they're like we need comedy beats more often we need to have the audience engaged and you can't just have world building and lore every scene you have to have some levity and it kind of because that, that kind of keeps your your attention i think that's what they lost in thor 2 there's a lot of lore there's a lot of world building there's this whole race of people we have to get introduced to and there's no jokes to kind of break up these long stretches of dialogue that are just explaining backstory. And I know personally, I'm just kind of zoned out. Whereas this, I knew what was going on at every step in this movie, even though this movie moved at breakneck speed, especially in the beginning, we're just like, oh, this is happening, this is happening. You have a sister and she's bad and now here she is and she's killing you. And things progress really quickly. But at least for me, both times when I watched the film, and I watched it again today. Um, I knew exactly what was going on at all times. Like I knew what the the narrative was. And like Bobby said, basically the movie's two stories going on at once. And, you know, they're basically looking at what Thor's doing, what's actually happening in Asgard. And you kind of know, like, well, at some point Thor has to get off this planet and get to Asgard or somehow they're going to, you know, come together. And that's not super clear how that's going to work out in the end. But you always knew kind of the motivations of the characters and what their next step was. So, I mean, I thought it was a very easy film to follow. And I think it was because part of their pacing is, hey, let's throw a joke in here so people don't start falling asleep or zoning out. Let's keep them on their toes. And I also get a lot of people kind of criticize the Marvel movies at this point for not being edgier, not being, you know, more emotional, um, being a little bit deeper. And I, I feel you know like what? they don't have to be, man. That's the thing. Like, not like not, not everybody has to make Dark Knight. Everybody has to make Logan. So I'm just like, it's a popcorn flick. Let's have they a good don't, time. But fun. I, I feel like what gets lost a lot in these films is there are moments where they do kind of more dramatic, emotional scenes. But I think it just gets lost on all the jokes. So I think in this film... It's kind of when Thor and Loki are talking. It's a lot. It's a lot of Thor and Loki stuff, where they're basically talking about how they've kind of drifted apart, and how basically Thor knows that at this point he can never trust Loki. Um, he keeps falling for his ruses, and at this point he's he's onto them. He knows that he is just kind of an innate evil person, even though he wishes and hopes he could be for more. And I think there there are moments in this movie that are taken a little bit more seriously, and there's a little more gravitas to the scene. Um, but it's shortly thereafter cut with a joke that kind of breaks yeah. any tension that they were building. But at the same time, if like you don't think that just gets you invested. It, it, it gets you from being bored with some overdramatic kind of stuff. But I just wanted to chime in since you mentioned a joke, the heart of the movie has, I think the heart of the Thor series has been their brotherly relationship. Exactly. You know, the jealousy and everything. Cause Bobby said the Korg scene was one of the most he laughed. One of the most I laugh is Thor recounting the story about how he liked snakes as a child. 
And then Loki turned into the snake and he stabbed me. And he's like, oh, it's me. And I'm like, yeah. Like, he's like, I was three years old. And like, oh man, that that story. Yeah, yeah. The- yeah, honestly, like, I mean, this is like when Mark was talking about that, got the Thor and Loki. I'm like, oh yeah, here we go. Because I'm gonna say this right now that I think uh, Tom Hiddleston as Loki is the best character in the Marvel universe. Period. Good guy or bad guy, there's no scene he's been in where he wasn't the best part of in any of these movies. Thor two was so much worse when he wasn't in it. And I remember, like, I mean, the movie is, I mean, I, maybe because I got a kid brother, like, who's, like, very close to my age. But I relate to the Thor and Loki scenes, which is weird, considering that Thor is such a little, Thor is such a little shit. But, like, and he's inherently evil. But, like, and whenever they're, like, going at it, just, like, there's a whole, like, brotherly thing, even, like, where, like, Thor will chase Loki, but then Loki will, like, try to run away. And, like, in Loki's way, he disappears and appears somewhere else. But... And then, like, in Thor 2, when, like, Thor's trying to drive that fucking jet ski thing or whatever it was, and Loki's just backseat driving, shit-talking him the whole time, that was the only good part of that movie. And in this movie, anytime Loki was on the screen, I was just, I just enjoyed it more. I think it's, I think he's the best character in this universe, and I don't think they can ever get rid of him. What do you think, Steph? Um, I mean, I I agree with a lot of the sentiment, and I think, but this is something too that Mark was talking about with the critics and everything. It's why anyone in comic books, why people gravitate towards the villains. The villains get are layered; they have conflict. You know, is Loki is good and bad, and his badness usually stems from selfishness as opposed to omnipotent evil. And I want to destroy simply for the sake of destroying. You yes. know, that's that's the generic thing that people complain about Marvel is that it's what's the motivation it's just i'm bad because i'm bad they're good because they're good that's why a character like loki which jumps in back throughout the movies you identify with that character because that feels real that feels tangible that's the game of thrones aspect that they didn't realize that was the thing not just grim and serious it's a layer it's realism it's something that we identify with that people are good at times they're bad at times um you know but yeah, why I mean, are they bad you know and and Loki's exactly. great at that yeah exactly because i mean uh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, yes, you know, like, you mentioned a little brother thing. You have a little brother. I am the little brother in uh, my family. You know, there is there is always the archetype of the little brother has to climb out of the bigger brother's shadow. The little brother needs to stand on their own. They don't have an identity at first because there's someone who precedes them, and that's Loki's arc. He wants to be thought of as powerful. He wants to be a leader, you know. he 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 just, but he takes shortcuts to get there. He doesn't realize the hard way. That's why he fails in his counters that's why he's a hated leader as opposed to a loved one you know he has to manipulate it's all these things but you know it it, it as long and this is the the movies need to get a good balance of it you know and i i think they do um but there is the genericness of marvel as a whole which i get why people critique on it and that's why you want something like logan you want these more personal stories because then they feel realer yeah and and um, we're talking about like why Loki why Loki's a bad guy and there's layers to him, and this is something that as a child I learned from pro wrestling and I I don't I know I mean I watched a lot of pro wrestling when I was a kid so a lot of my understanding of characters and really any entertainment comes from that, and I think Mick Foley said it in his book where he said, um, the key to any good bad guy is that the bad guy has to feel justified in his actions there has to be some sliver of truth to what he's saying or there has to be some point in his character where all the entire audience can sit in his can be like if i was in if i was in his shoes i would maybe believe the same thing like his reasons 
his reasons for being a bad guy are on some level justified or what he's saying is true enough that you're like, oh, maybe. that, And that's why, like, when all the, a lot of shit Loki's been doing this whole time, you're like, homie's kind of got a point. And even, like, um, like Hella, we didn't get to a lot of Hella, quite frankly, in this one. But her reasons for being such a pain in the ass, they gave her, you got to have a reason. And, I mean, at some point, I mean, like, that's, like, I mean, we're not at Thanos. We're not, I mean, we're, we're like on movie 12 of Thanos sitting in a chair. At some point, it's going to be explained why he's going to be the bad guy. You know, a reason for the villain to be the villain. Not just, I'm bad, as Stefan put it. And we get that from Loki. Oh, Thanos has the best reason. It all comes down to because Thanos is trying to impress a girl. That is Thanos' main motivation in the comics is he wants to impress Mistress Death, which I think for movie reasons will probably just be Hela. And that's how this will all tie together. That's my theory. And we're also, that. Um, Marcus, there's two, two things I wanted your comment on. First is, I mean, I there was a moment where I'm in that movie theater and I think the words in my head go, they should have had Thor fight that dog for longer. That giant dog for longer. Um, and then the second one was, man, did they let Jeff Goldblum really Jeff Goldblum it up in this movie? Um, yeah, I disagree with Thor fighting the dog longer was not a takeaway I had at any Dude, point. It was like, the film it was like they fought like, for like 10 seconds. I'm like, yo, he, I, was, I got so hyped. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, I don't remember him even fighting the dog. What I remember the dog scene was a great, another great gag where Bruce Banner jumps out of the helicopter. You think he's going to turn into the Hulk. And he just smashes down onto Rainbow Road. I think that was, and then Hulk fought the dog. So yeah, I, I don't agree with that criticism that oh. much. I think it didn't hold a lot of water. Um, get uh, Goldblum though, I think did a fantastic job. And yeah, they didn't really stray too far from his kind of weird, charismatic kind of acting style as it is. They kind of just leaned into it. I thought he did a great job. And you know, the villains of this film, like you were talking about, I don't even consider Loki a villain. I don't think the audience does either. I don't think at any point in any of the Thor movies does he come on screen and people think like, oh no, trouble's about to come. But they're like, oh no, good. He's going to come and be witty and charismatic and fun and help out, but then ultimately at the end kind of betray them, but not so much that anyone's in any real danger. Mostly that uh, he gets out slightly ahead better than anyone else or he sacrificed himself. So. Avengers 1 where he's a villain. Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. he was a villain there, but ever since then... I think anytime he's on screen, people see him as one of the heroes, um, you know, a, an untrusty character, of course, but not really a villain per se. He's not really the, what, antagonist to the protagonist. You know, he's not really leading the orders anymore. He's mostly just helping Thor at this point. Um, but yeah, I think the villains in this film, like they are in all the Marvel movies, they're not built up super great. Goldblum's reasoning for the his little arena in cities because he was the first one there and he's like okay <laughs> called dibs i guess and this is what you wanted so i mean that was a little thin helena they you know basically said like yeah she wants to keep controlling you know more than the nine realms like odin stopped so um i i, I thought they both did a good job you know i thought they were interesting enough i believed in their abilities and their um you know influences and power in this world and I think they did a decent job being villains. Better than some of the other ones we've seen, like in Ant-Man and stuff like that, where I thought they were really thin. Um, all right. Um, I think that's it. I don't think we got anything else this week. Uh, just real quickly, Tessa Thompson did a really good job as Valkyrie. We didn't really mention it, but she did a good job. She was awesome. <laughs> she was great. And uh, hopefully she's got some scenes with Super Sage Northcutt in Creed 2. That's what I want. Tessa Thompson talking to Sage. I 
buy it. Like I said, Mike just hasn't seen his Hollywood reel. That 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 boy got a profile. <laughs> um, Andre Ward should be in Creed too. That's who he should fight. Let's. He has nothing to do now. Come on now. He's he's a uh, the step man. Are we building up to that? Because like the guy. I thought it was pretty clear. He punched him at the way at the stare downs, and then he had a broken jaw. And before this guy goes to jail, he gets to fight somebody. What's so complicated about that? Yeah, and then like this guy's broken jaw is healed, and then you know, what was it Adonis Creed slash Johnson? He's gonna get tuned up by Andre Ward again, right? That, I mean, that's what I'm rooting for when they when they book this uh this fake movie fight. I'm rooting for uh for Danny Stuntman Wheeler, which is a weird nickname. For a guy in a boxing in a boxing movie. All right. Um, thank you guys all for listening. I promise we actually will review Stranger Things season two because I got thoughts. Stefan's got thoughts. Mike's got thoughts. So we'll talk about that next week probably. Till then, enjoy the Matt Brown retirement party. And maybe if we're lucky, Diego Sanchez gives him a high five and says, I'm going home too. And then Nate Marquardt says, I'm done too. And then Andre Arlovsky says, I'm done too. And then you know what? The UFC's kind enough to book them some business class seats home at least. Because some of these guys are flying to Albuquerque, and that's a long fucking flight from Norfolk. Just saying. Um, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, see you guys next week. Peace. See ya.